Have you ever wondered, and if you haven't, I'm hoping to stir your thinking today, what would happen if we asked God for the impossible? If we activated our faith and we believed God for the improbable? If we acted in audacious Faith for his glory. That word audacious there meaning extremely bold or daring or reckless kind of faith. You do understand, and if you don't, I want to help you today. I want to provoke your your spiritual thinking today. That we have been designed for more than we are presently living for right now. And if you are not at a place in your life that you ever dared to believe God for the impossible, you might just be sleeping through some of the best parts of your Christian life. It was Pastor Jim Cimbala, founding pastor and still the current pastor of that great Brooklyn Tabernacle Church. Many of you probably know its music, the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. In the early days of starting that church right in the heart of Brooklyn, New York. Pastor Cimbala said this. He said, I despaired at the thought that my life might pass me by without seeing God show himself mightily on our behalf. When I read that, that that, that stirred my heart that that man would, would say such a thing that He had such a a sense of despair that he might miss something great that God wanted to do in and through his life and through that church. All of us have been given a measure of faith. The Bible tells us that. It is the prerequisite for our salvation when we come to Christ. But there's more to it than just that. Does the kind of Faith that we live by. Is it producing the the kind of results that we read in the pages of Scripture that happened in the lives of the great men and women of God? Because if I'm correct and I read this Bible right, the Bible said that God has not changed. He is the same yesterday today and forevermore. So if God has not changed, that means the miracle working power and the demonstration of God's power has not gone anywhere. I'm going to need you to help me a little bit today. Let me keep laying this groundwork for you. Do we have that same kind of faith? Faith like Abraham, or excuse me, Moses rather, who stood between God and Israel and asked God to spare their lives. Faith like Abraham who interceded for the righteous remnant that lived in the wicked city of Sodom and Gomorrah and asked God to spare their lives. Men like Hezekiah, when Isaiah showed up at the king's house and said, the sickness that you have, it is unto death you're going to die. You better set your house in order. Hezekiah, the Bible said, turned his face to the wall and called out to God and begged God to spare his life. And the Bible said that God added 15 more years to the king's life. Men like Elijah who prayed one prayer 
and ask God to shut the heavens up and to stop the rain in order to get the attention of a wicked king named Ahab. And with one prayer for three and a half years, Brother Turpin, not a drop of rain fell on the earth. How about men like Elisha, who literally laid himself down on the deceased, cold body of a woman's little boy, laid hand to hand, the Bible says, eye to eye, nose to nose, mouth to mouth, prayed a prayer, and God breathed life back into that boy and raised him up. That's the kind of faith that we need today. That's the kind of faith that Joshua had, the great leader that succeeded Moses in Israel, Joshua, he's no stranger to us. Joshua is no stranger to Scripture. It was Joshua who fought the battle of Jericho. It was Joshua who witnessed firsthand Israel's deliverance from oppression. It was Joshua who rose to a position of leadership as Moses' assistant. It was Joshua who stood with Caleb when everybody else ran because there were giants in their promised land. And he said, listen, we are well able to overcome them. It was Joshua who quite possibly prayed the most preposterous prayer ever known to man when he literally looked up toward heaven and asked God to freeze time on behalf of his people. The story unfolds for us in Joshua 10. Let me give you a little background. We'll give you some points here and we'll be done. There is this planned attack that has been orchestrated between five kings, enemies of Israel and their armies. They have planned this attack against a group of people called the Gibeonites in a place called Gibeon who, who have joined their allegiance and have joined their forces with Israel's army. If you read the early part of Joshua chapter number 10, you will see that, that these kings had heard about the reputation of the Israelites. They had heard about the miracle of Jericho, and they had also heard that, that Israel had made a peace treaty with the Gibeonites, and they became fearful, these five kings did. They said Israel is strong enough by themselves, but if they, they join themselves with this group of people, we are, we are in big, big trouble. So they, they planned this attack against the Gibeonites. Then there is this plea for help from the Gibeonites to the Israelites, and they remind them that you have made a covenant, you've made a peace treaty with us, and you have said to us that any of our enemies will become your enemies. Anything that comes against us, you will join with us and you will help us fight. You are obligated to honor the covenant that you made. And there's this planned attack, there's this plea for help, come over and help us. There's this peace treaty that's been made. And then, then there's this promise from God that he is going to take care of Joshua and help him and his army defeat these five kings and their armies. When he says to him, in verse 8, I didn't read it to you, he says to Joshua, Joshua, do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. 
Not one of them will stand before you. Joshua, I'm going to give you complete and total victory over these five kings and their armies. And then there's this performance of the miraculous. When Joshua looks up to God because he understands that the sun is getting ready to set. He knows that when the sun sets, that nightfall will then take over the land. And if you study the story out and you read it in its, in its context and its complete understanding, and you realize that when the sun sets and nightfall comes over the land, that these five kings and their armies that have not all been defeated yet, because Joshua's engaged in the battle, he's engaged in warfare when he prays this prayer, and he understands that when darkness gets here, that the rest of those kings and their armies that have not yet been defeated will escape under the cover of nightfall, and they won't be able to finish what they started. Does that make sense to you? He understands that if darkness grips the land, those kings and whatever armies are left are going to slip away under the cover of nightfall, and who knows where they will go, and they won't be able to finish what they have started. And this battle that Joshua is getting ready to go into with these five kings and their armies, it is of, of, of utmost importance because their possession of a promised land is at stake. And Joshua looks up to heaven, and he says, God... I'm going to paraphrase here and use some of my imagination. You understand that I need some more daylight here. If it gets completely dark, I mean, we are human here, God. If it gets completely dark, we don't have x-ray or night vision. We won't be able to see where they go. Who knows where they will escape to. And if we let them get away, they will continue to be a thorn in our flesh. So he says, God, I need you to do something for me. God, I'm going to pray this really big, crazy prayer. I need you to literally freeze time for me and keep the sun from going down. I need an extra 24 hours if you can find it in your power to do so. Oh, God, I love this miracle. And the Bible says to us that the sun literally stopped. The sun literally stood still and ceased to go down for a whole day. And Joshua finished what he had started, and God fulfilled the promise that not one of them would stand before Joshua. Now, the introduction of that and the thought of that miracle is wonderful. God literally froze time. But let me just show you three things quickly. Number one, I want you to see the magnitude of Joshua's request. I mean, when you consider the prayer that he prayed, and many of you have read this story, you've heard this miracle probably preached about or taught about, and it's just kind of one of those things you look at and go, oh, great, God, God stopped time. I don't know if we really understand the fullness of it. Joshua was literally asking God to stop the earth from rotating on its axis. And he was asking God to somehow create a substitute event to extend daylight. You, you do realize that we get light and darkness not from the sun rotating around the earth. We get light and darkness from the earth rotating on its axis around the sun. Now you have to go back and do a little science here now. So what happened when Joshua prayed that prayer? 
God literally, I'm going to say that word a lot, because this right here, this is, this is a literal miracle that happened in the Scripture. I believe this book in its entirety. God literally slowed down the rotation of the earth so that instead of the earth making one full rotation, which it does, the earth makes one full rotation around the sun every 24 hours that gives us light and darkness. Instead of one rotation in 24 hours, it made one rotation in 48 hours. So thus, you get an entire extra 24-hour period. Listen, I don't, you, you don't have to help me right now. I'm going to let it soak in for a minute. And when, when I consider that Joshua had the gall, the audacity to look up to heaven and ask God, God, could you do me a favor, please, and could you slow the rotation of the earth around the sun so instead of it making one rotation in 24 hours, it makes one rotation in 48 hours. I could really use 24 extra hours here, God. And God heeded the voice of that man. Now, the skeptic in me goes, no, wait a minute. He really prayed that prayer? I mean, when you consider the fact that the sun is in diameter 870,000 miles wide, when you consider the fact that the sun is 109 times wider than the earth, when you consider the fact that the sun is 333,000 times heavier than the earth, and if you were to put the sun on a scale, you'd have to find 333 thousand different objects that weighed as much as the earth to get the other side of that scale to balance. If you lived on the sun and were to build a spacecraft, experts tell us you would have to travel at 618.2 kilometers per second to escape the gravitational pull of the sun. Do you realize that the sun is 25,000 light years away from the galactic core of our galaxy, that being the Milky Way? It's like one huge star, but they say that it's a million times bigger than the biggest star. They say that the sun burns 600 million tons of natural gas every single second. And that if the earth were hollow... You, if the sun were hollow, rather, you could fit 333,000 earths on the inside of it. Now, if you're sitting there going, Pastor, why are you telling us that? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, and our minds can't comprehend it. That's exactly the point. If Joshua could stand back and say to God, God, I need you to do something supernatural here and stop the sun from going down, then what in the world is preventing you from looking up to heaven and praying to the same God and saying, God, I need you to do the impossible in my life because the same God that stopped the sun from going down is the same God that is working for you, in you, and through you, and he's waiting on you to look up to heaven to call out to him and say God I need you and in faith I believe you oh, hallelujah. 
get a science lesson today, did you? That's the magnitude of his request. Why? We pray such puny prayers. Do you think that God has lost power from back then to now? No. Then why do you pray? Why do we pray such small prayers? I want to activate and stir your faith today, church. God hasn't changed, has he? Here's what's changed. Your faith and my faith has changed. Here's the second thing I want you to see. The magnitude of his request, but I want you to see the measure of this man's faith. How many of you know Joshua had to have a little bit of faith? Who who prays something so ridiculous? People that have audacious faith. Pastor, do you think that God could stop the sun from going down again? If he had to, but there's never been a day like it, the Bible said, before or after. There may not ever be a day before or like it after again. Before or like it after. It won't happen again, I don't think. I don't think we'll have a day ever like that. Not a day before or a day after, the Bible said. There's never been a day like it. But here's the measure of his faith. Listen, all faith starts with the seed. Everybody say a seed. Listen, someday, somewhere, at some point, at some time, you have to activate the seed of faith that is present on the inside of you. I'm going to teach a little bit this morning. The Bible says to us that all of us have been given a measure. Everybody say a measure. I'll make sure you stay awake. If i got to be awake and preach after about five and a half hours, you're going to stay awake while I finish this. We've all been given a measure of faith. There is a story recorded in Matthew 17, verses 14 through 20. And this man, this father, comes to Jesus The Bible said, beseeching him and crying out, Lord, have mercy upon my son. He said he's an epileptic. He has seizures. And they're so severe that he often falls into the water and he falls into the fire. They are life-threatening here, Lord. And then the father indicts the disciples of Jesus. I took him to your disciples and they couldn't take care of him. And Jesus, if you read the next words, he was a little agitated. He looks at his disciples and says, you faithless and perverse generation. How long shall I bear with you and how long shall I be with you? You know what he's saying there? I've been with you in the flesh all this time and you still don't get it. He said, bring the boy to me. I can hear the, I can hear the frustration in the voice of Jesus. And the Bible said that he rebuked that demon spirit of infirmity and sickness that was on that boy. It came out of him, and the Bible said that boy was cured that very hour. And when the disciples see that unfold, they go to Jesus in private now because they're probably embarrassed. And they say, "Uh, Lord, we have a question here. Um, why couldn't we do that? And Jesus, I mean, he pulls no punches. He said, because of your unbelief. Because you were full of doubt. I mean, help me understand something here. How do you walk and talk and in the flesh hang out with Jesus and still have no faith? 
how do you do that? I mean, these guys had been hanging out with Jesus. They had been there for the miracles. Some of them have already taken place, and they still don't have it. If they don't get it by this point, I don't know if they're ever going to get it. He said, because you're in belief, for certainly I say to you, watch this now, verse 20, if you have faith as the grain of a, a mustard, have you, anybody ever seen a mustard seed? Raise your hand if you've ever seen a mustard seed. Do you know how small those things are? I mean, they are minute. Jesus said, listen, boys, I don't need a lot from you. I'm convinced that there were things Jesus said to those disciples we never heard. Never was recorded. And maybe if he was in today's society, in today's vernacular, you bunch of knuckleheads, he would say. I mean, I'm not asking for this huge, if I just need you to have a, I just need you to activate the measure that, that my father's already given you. If you have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, understand, they had just come off the mountain of transfiguration. It was Jesus and Peter and James and John and that whole event that happened. So they're standing here. There's a backdrop of a mountain. And that's why he said that, because they're still standing in the shadow of that mountain. If you have faith as a grain of mustard, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there. And it will be done, and nothing will be impossible for you. Can I teach a little bit this morning? Oh, I need to hurry. I don't have a lot of time. Just, just a little bit of faith. Now, that is not saying that we could literally say to a mountain, but it's saying there are, there are obstacles and there are things in your life that are bigger than you, taller than you, stronger than you, more powerful than you, and if you'll activate your faith, I will work on your behalf. And see, I believe that we, we live with progressions of faith. You understand that? See, the reason Joshua could pray that prayer and have such faith, he had a reference point. He could look back at some different places in his life that God had already showed himself strong. How about the day that God called him? Joshua, have I not commanded you, Joshua 1.9, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. So before Joshua prayed that prayer, I believe Brother Turpin in his mind, he thought, okay, God gave me a promise a long time ago so I can ask him because I've already seen God work in my life. How about the, the crossing of the Jordan River? As the new young leader just taking the reins of leadership, he comes to a, a Jordan River at flood stage. They can't get into their promised land until they cross Jordan. That's the first one of the first things they have to do. So what happens? God says, Joshua, tell the priest to go, go stand in the, in the middle of the river with the Ark of the Covenant on their back. And as soon as they step their feet into that water, I'm, I'm going to dry it up. You'll walk across on dry ground. That's exactly what happens when two million people walk across a riverbed that had been flooded on the dry ground. And God takes them into their promised land. It's a reference point. How about the conquest of Jericho? Those walls. Formidable walls that stood there. And what did he gave him this crazy battle strategy? Walk around it once a day for six days, the seventh day, seven times. After that seventh time, which equals the 13, you're going to sound a blast on the trumpet. You're going to lift up your voice with a shout, a great shout, and the walls are going to come down. You're going to possess the city. It was a progression of faith. 
And I'm telling you, when you've been at a place and you've seen God work in your life and fulfill his word, your faith begins to grow and the mustard seed gets a little bit bigger and your boldness gets a little bit stronger and you can look at God and say, God, I need the sun to stand still in my life. Anybody in here God's ever answered a prayer for you and come through for you? Raise your hand. And if you keep your hand down, I'm coming to get you and say, wake up, you're lying. Listen, I, I've, got a, I've got reference points in my life. I've seen God work. I've seen God come through for me and my family. That's why I can keep asking God with faith and confidence and boldness because the same God that did it before is the same God that can do it again. It all starts with the seed. Let me say this to you. It's always, listen, it's always the season for faith. You understand that the natural seasons, they change, right? Seasons change all the time. But you know what is always constant or should be always constant in our life? Faith. Faith. And here's what you're saying. I, I, maybe you're thinking this. Pastor, I, I'm, right now, presently, I'm not in a season of favor. I'm not in a season of fruitfulness. I'm not in a season of growth. I mean, things just aren't happening right now. It's a struggle. It's a battle. I mean, nothing's, I'm praying and God doesn't seem to be working. But listen, faith is still present. Right? It's always a season for faith. Let me show you again how Jesus illustrates this. He's coming out of Bethany one day. Mark chapter 11, verses 12 through 15, and then verses 20 through 24. He's coming out of Bethany one day. And as he comes out of Bethany, the Bible says that Jesus sees this fig tree with leaves on it from afar. And it says that Jesus walks up to that fig tree hoping to find some fruit on that fig tree. You know why? Because the human part of him is hungry. And he gets to the fig tree, and guess what? There's nothing on it. The Bible says, watch now, it was not the season for figs. It might not have been a season for figs, but it is a season for faith. Oh, watch this. And Jesus, now watch this. I want you to see, I want you to see the humanity in him. He's frustrated. He's hungry. I would venture to say when he saw the fig tree from afar, he had his mouth set on some figs. Anybody ever been like that before? You got your mouth set on something, you can taste it, like a good old bowl of cereal. And you get to the refrigerator and there's no dumb milk in there. And it's too late to go to the store because everything's closed. And now you can't have any cereal. You got to have something else because you don't even really want that. And then you're frustrated, and you say to your wife, why didn't you buy any milk at the store? I did. You drank it all. Right? Jesus wanted a bowl of cereal, but he didn't have any milk. And he goes to the fig tree, and the Bible said he cursed the fig tree. I don't mean he used curse words, but he cursed the fig tree. And here's what he said. May nobody ever eat fruit from you again, you stupid fig tree. I wanted some fruit. See the humanity? See the humanity? So they leave. Now watch this. It's important because verse 15 says, and the disciples heard him say that. Don't miss that. I've never seen that before until this week. And the disciples, verse 15, Mark 11, the disciples heard him say that. You know why they heard him, they, they heard him say that? And Jesus made sure they heard him say that. Though it wasn't a season for figs, he was going to teach them that it's always a season for faith. Now watch. So the next day they come back by that same tree. And the disciples see the fig tree, the Bible says, that had dried up from the roots. And it's Peter. 
Ooh, ooh, Lord, Lord, Lord. Nobody else said anything but Peter. Peter talks too much. He says, Lord, look. Rabbi, teacher, the fig tree. You cursed? It's, it's withered away. I'm thinking, I'm reading this and I'm going, duh, what'd you expect? Oh, faithless and perverse generation. What did you think was going to happen? Was there, ever, was there ever a doubt that the fig tree was going to ever be productive again? Lord, look, here it is. Like he needed someone to point it out to him. Man, the disciples, they weren't too swift sometimes, were they? And then Jesus looks at him, and here's the next word that he says. Have faith in God. Listen, I've read that story a bunch. When I read it this week, it just it knocked me upside my head. It wasn't a season for figs. The humanity of Jesus wanted it to be a season of figs, but the divinity in Jesus was going to teach his disciples about a season of faith. Do you think that Jesus knew that there was going to be no figs on that tree? That, that's what perplexes me. He knew, didn't he? And he walked up to it anyways. But he said it so his disciples could hear it. Well, I may be tickling your brain a little bit this morning. Chew on that a little bit. He already knew. But I think you understand it was going to be a teaching point. The human and the divine part of Jesus was always operating. Now watch what he says. Have faith in God, Peter. For most assuredly, whoever says to this mountain, be thou removed and be cast into the sea, Watch this. And does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things that he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. It was not a season for figs at this point. Although the human part of Christ wanted figs, the divine part of him knew his disciples needed faith. And I want you to hear this preacher and understand with me today that regardless of what you feel in the human part of you, and regardless of what it looks like with your human eyes, I don't care what it feels like, what it looks like, what's said or what's not said, it is always a season of faith, and you always need to learn to trust God. And if you can activate that faith and operate in that faith and live in that faith, I'm telling you that nothing becomes impossible. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. He'd go down in Hebrews 11 and 6 and say that they that come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I'm going to tell you God won't do anything for anyone that sits around with their arms folded, their mouth shut and their faith dormant. But if God, listen, he said when he returns, will he really find faith on the earth? If he can find a man, find a woman, find a boy, 
boy, find a girl, just find a little bit of childlike faith, a mustard seed size of faith, and somebody will open up your mouth and put God on the spot and hold God to his word and say, God, I believe that this is your promise to me. I'm convinced there will be some sun stand still moments in your life that God will show up, God will show all, God will show out, and you'll walk away and shake your head and say, I know that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God did this. Come on and praise him today. Pastor Tony, come help me just play softly. I'm going to land this thing. The magnitude of his request. The measure of his faith. But now we can't, we can't conclude this miracle without talking about the miracle of God's hand. Listen, Joshua had a measure of faith that allowed him to look up to heaven and say, God, I need more daylight to defeat this enemy. Just a measure. He had a reference point, didn't he? Something to look back on. Joshua prayed a prayer based on the promises of God. You should never pray anything different than the promises of God. Did you hear me? You should never pray anything different than the promises of God. You should never pray anything that contradicts the word of God. You know what Joshua was doing that day when he asked God for the sun to stand still? He was reminding God of the promise he had made to him. Because remember in verse 8, what did God tell him? This is before Joshua ever prayed for the sun to stand still. Verse 8, what did he say? Joshua, do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not one of them will stand before you. That sounds like, to me, Dean Taylor, a promise of complete and total victory for Joshua. Not one of them. So when Joshua goes to God to pray, God, by the way, I just want to remind you, you told me that not one of them would stand before me. You told me not to fear them. You told me you would deliver them into my hand. So, God, I'm just reminding you of what you told me. Sometimes, you know what we need to do? Listen, when you pray, you need to remind God of his promises. Why, Pastor? God doesn't need to be reminded. No, he doesn't, but you do. Because when you remind him, you know who else you're reminding? You're reminding yourself. Because when you're sick in your body, and you got to pray and trust God for healing, and you go back and say, God, I just want to remind you that you were wounded for my transgressions. You were bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement of my peace was upon you with your stripes. I'm healed. God, I need to remind you, according to 1 Peter 1 and 24, that with your stripes you said, I was healed. God, I need to remind you, according to Jeremiah 30 and 17, that you said you'd restore health unto me. I need to remind you, according to Exodus 15 and 26, that you're the God that heals all my diseases. You know what that does? God, I feel the Holy Ghost right here. You know what that does? That reminds you. You know what it does? It triggers your faith. And when you've got a 
You've got a promise that you are reminded of, and you've got a reference point. Boy, faith just grows, doesn't it? So Joshua just reminds God, Lord, I need the sun to stand still. I need to finish this battle. Really what he was doing, he was just reminding God that God had promised to give him victory. There's an interesting verse in Isaiah 43, 25 and 6. 25 and 26. Here's what God said. I, even I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my sake. I will not remember your sins. Now that's great if we just stop at verse 25, but verse 26, you know what he says in verse 26? Put me in remembrance. It's God talking. One version says this, remind me of my promise of forgiveness. God himself says to remind him. Go look at it. Go read it. I'm giving you a little meat to chew on today, I hope. I'm not trying to say I'm deeper. I'm going to give you something to think about today. When's the last time you reminded God of what he promised you? Pastor, I don't know what God promised me. Well, you had not read your Bible in a long time then. I'm not talking about some word some preacher gives you. And those are good. And God uses those to confirm his word to you. And see, we're, we live in a time, folks don't want to get in. I'm going I'm to be pastoral right here. Folks don't want to get in this book and find their own promise. Pastor, I, I, I need a word. They want to chase some prophet, some evangelist, some revival. I need to go find me a word. You don't have to go chase a word. The word's in your house. Open it up. Now, don't you get that wrong. I believe in the gifts of the Spirit, and I believe in the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom. I believe God works through that. God's used me in that way, and God has used people to speak into my life in that way. You can't depend on somebody. Listen, I've had people stop me in the lobby of my church. I came from Rocky Mountain. Honest to God is my witness. And come up to me and have there's a, a guy and his girlfriend. I'd never seen them. And Pastor, we're thinking about getting married. What's God telling you about us? I said, nothing. Honest to God, Jeremy. Pastor, what's the Lord giving you something for us? think you will? Probably not. But here's what I'll do for you. I'll go home and I'll pray for you. And I'll pray with you and I'll pray for God to open your eyes to his word and see what he says. I'm not kidding you. I've had him more than one time. Pastor, what's, what's the Lord? What's, I believe you've got, I've had him say, Pastor, the Lord told me you had a word for me. I think God lied. I don't have a word for you. I'm not kidding, man. People are, they're crazy. So don't you ever call me and say, Pastor, What's the Lord saying to you about me? I promise if he talks to me about you, you won't have to call me. I'll call you. You won't have to wonder. I'll send you an email. I'll send you a Facebook message. I'll tell you, the Lord's speaking. The Holy Spirit's whispering to me about you. And here's what he's saying. Right here is every promise you need. You got it. You know what? Listen, you know what this book does right here? I'm going to be done. I promise. What time is it? Oh, it's after 12. Better not keep you too long. You won't come back tonight. You know it's true. Faith cometh by what? What's hearing come by? Anything I preach or ever tell you, you better go home and wait against this. If it contradicts this or it's out of line with this, you need to call me on it and tell me, Pastor, you missed it because it doesn't line up to the Word of God. We need, a, we need a revival of the Word of God again in our churches, in our homes, in our hearts, in our lives. You can build your life on this thing right here. 
For 2,000 years, it stood the test of time. I'm telling you, every single one of the 66 books and every single word from cover to cover, it is still the living, vibrant, infallible, and errant Word of God. I've been living my life on this book for the last 40 years. I'll keep living my life on this book until Jesus comes and takes me home or I go by way of the grave. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Heaven and earth are going to pass away. But he said, my word, my word will never, ever pass pass away. He said, my word will never return unto me void. It will never come back empty. It will always go forth and accomplish that which I send it to do. The word of God, it still works. Now I close with this. He prayed a prayer and he reminded God. So you need to pray a prayer and remind God of his promise to you. Whatever that is, and here's what sun stands still is. The day the sun stood still, here's where it is. I just tie it up right here. Sun stands still is a metaphor. It's a comparison. For the seemingly impossible things that you need God to do in your life. Some of you are in, are in, a, in a sun stand still moment right now. If God doesn't show up and God doesn't do it, it's not going to happen. And sun stands still prayers. Require God's supernatural involvement. You cannot do it without God. And they also require us to act in audacious faith. So here's my question. What are you waiting on? What are you waiting for? You shouldn't even wait for me to make an altar call today because there are some of you in here, you need God to show up in your life and you need God to show up in your family and you need God to do some things in your life. You shouldn't even have to wait for me to give an invitation to come to this altar. What are you waiting on? You ought to throw up your hands right where you are, open up your mouth and pray that sun stand still prayer and say, God, if you don't do it, it can't be done. But I'm asking you, let the sun stand still in my life. Come on, stand on your feet all over this building quickly.